0: The following is a presentation of the Retro Network.
1: Greetings, geeks, and welcome to another edition of... Wizards Half. That's right. This is our mini episode 34.5. This is the show where we cover everything we couldn't fit into the main show. Yes. And these days, Wizard is packed with a lot of fun. And speaking of fun, episode 34 was just a pure joy. You know, I was on hiatus for a little while. It's been so great for the last few episodes to just be there with Michael and Steven, just kind of rekindling the old magic and uh, really enjoying ourselves. Well, mostly enjoying Ourselves. But yeah, we, we had a lot of fun there. I hope nobody had too hard of a hangover from all the uh, drinks you had to take as we picked on Rob Liefeld, as we do. But let's go ahead and get this party started. All right, what do you have for us, Michael? Ladies and gentlemen, back
0: by popular demand, I give you the Wave Riders Wayback Machine. Ah! So in this month for June of 1994, there is some real, real interesting stuff in the Wave Rider's Wayback Machine. We've got some really good music and some really good movies. So we're going to start with our movies list, and based on MovieWeb, they say there were big time movies released that month the first one i have is renaissance man starring danny devito which was released on june 3rd i really liked this movie growing up it was an interesting kind of movie this was a a big like trope of this time of like sending in a fish out of water person into dealing with some sort of teacher role you have movies like major pain Dead Poet Society was kind of in that genre, even though more serious. But this was a really good movie, and I like this movie. Number two we have is Speed. And Speed is one of those movies that you can literally watch anytime anywhere whenever it's on i'm watching it this keanu reeves sandra bullock movie which was really like her breakout role which was released on june 9th is still popular to this day it is still beloved it was basically they were like you know we want to do die hard Okay, but we're going to do it die hard on a bus. And that's essentially what it is, is die hard with a bus. And you've got Dennis Hopper as the villain. Come on, how could you go wrong? Now, for all you Long Island fans out there, we've got another fantastic movie, though he's not in this movie, but this is the Steve Guttenberg universe, I call it. And it is Police Academy Mission to Moscow, which was released on June 9th. I vaguely remember this movie, but I love all the Police Academy movies and they all kind of blend together. The next movie I have is the unofficial sequel to Batman and Batman Returns. Or it could actually be a prequel if you think about it, and I'll tell you why I think this. And this movie is Wolf, starring Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer, which was released on June 17th. And here's why I say it's a prequel to Batman and Batman Returns, because Jack Nicholson is a werewolf, spoiler alert, 30 years later, and Michelle Pfeiffer falls in love with him. And by the end of the movie, they they have this like thing that like a person could become a werewolf if they fall in love with a, with a werewolf. And at the end of the movie, we we have a a shot of Michelle Pfeiffer with, like, cat eyes, and I I have this theory that they did that because in Batman Returns, when she gets all licked by the cats after she falls from the building, she gets the nine lives of cat power so i guess you would say and i'm like i wonder if this is the precursor and then by her falling and getting licked by the cats it unlocked the wolf power or the cat power or whatever you want to call it that's just my theory that's why i considered the unofficial sequel prequel to batman and batman returns and i had to see it just because of that isn't that so ridiculous and it's not a very good movie to be honest with you it's pretty bad the next movie is a juggernaut Of the year 1994 this movie released on june 23rd starring everyone's favorite james earl jones is the lion king i don't need to say a lot about the lion king it's a fantastic movie it's got a terrific soundtrack by elton john and it is just over the moon a great disney movie then we have another genre period piece film by everyone's favorite my favorite one of my favorites Kevin Costner we have Wyatt Earp which was released on June 24th. This is a very long movie. It's a good movie. I think Tombstone is better than this movie just because it's more fun and it's more spaghetti western than this. This takes itself very seriously but it's a good movie. It's just very long. Now the last movie for June of 1994 is another movie that was of a trope and a genre that was big in the early to mid 90s is Little Big League, which was released on June 29th. And this was basically a kid, essentially... I think he inherits the Yankees or something like that, and he becomes the owner, and then he makes himself the unofficial manager of the team, and he tries to, like, rejuvenate the franchise, and, you know, it's in the same vein of Rookie of the Year, Angels in the Outfield, it's, they're all kind of the same, even though I think Rookie of the Year is probably the best of these three movies, this is probably the the least great, I think Angels in the Outfield is also terrific, I think this is okay in comparison to the other two. And that's the movies for 1994 in June. Now, let's talk about some music. And there is some music. First, we're gonna start with Stone Temple Pilots album, Purple, which was released on June 7th, which is a terrific album. This is the first album that I ever bought of Stone Temple Pilots, and I really like this album a lot. The next one we have is One Foot in the Grave by Beck. I was never a big Beck fan back in the day, But I I do... I like this song. It's a a fine song. A fine album. Now, the next thing we have... There's a lot of albums. I can go on and on and on. One of my favorite songs is Warren G. released Regulate, which is a fantastic song. And then you also have Weezer released the Undone The Sweater song. That is... That is a fantastic song as well. And then we have Bone Thugs in Harmony dropped an album. Creepin' On Ya, Come Up. I, I don't, I mean, maybe I know some songs from that album. I think I do. Then you have Radiohead, Itch came out, which is another good album. You've got Rancid, Let's Go. There's so many different things that came out this month, which is crazy. I, I guess they were just gearing up for that summer of fun, I guess. Then you've got House of Pain, Same As It Ever Was. Like, there's a lot, a lot of stuff that came out in June of 94 that was music. Now we have an Oasis album, Shaker Maker. I feel like a lot of people didn't listen to a lot of Oasis after, you know, Wonderwall and Champagne Supernova. And unfortunately, they broke up as time went on. But, you know, I still am a big fan of Oasis. I like them a lot. Then you have Stevie Nicks released Street Angel. I don't particularly remember that one, and I do like some Stevie Nicks stuff. So I have to mention it because I feel like it's important. I've seen her in concert. She was cool. I saw her at Jones Beach, which was pretty fun. And funny enough, during that concert, like, the tides came in, and the lower levels got all flooded. People were just standing in salt water or watching the concert. It was pretty funny. And then to round out this list, we have Snoop Dogg releasing a Juggernaut, which is Doggy Dog World. This album was huge. Like crazy huge. It was unbelievable. I still love this album. It's fantastic. There's so much more music. I could go on and on. You have the Spin Doctors, you have Outcast. Blue Oyster Cult released music this month. It's crazy. The Beastie Boys released an album this month. It's just unbelievable. But I just wanted to highlight a handful of stuff. And that is our Wave Rider's Wayback Machine
1: for June of 1994. Back to Adam. Adam here, and as you'll recall from episode 34, we made fun of a contest where... A 15-year-old or younger could go hang out with Rob Liefeld. We were a little incredulous about whether or not that would actually take place. But there was another hangout on the other side of the country. Yes, there was an East Coast contest where you could meet up with Joe Casada, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Nelson, these famous artists of the moment. And so this was a contest that was announced with Get Your Mind Into the Gutter with the first annual Wizard bowling odyssey. Bowling. The king of sports. The sport of kings. With this exciting contest, Wizard will let you test your medal in a grueling Take No Prisoners bowling tournament. You'll be competing against Joe Casada, Jimmy Palmiati, Nelson, and a fourth mystery combatant from the Wizard Press staff. So, I do not know who the fourth person ended up being. We're going to have to check on that on social media, see which of our Wizard alumni can spill the beans on who was there. But this all took place at the Lucky Strike Lake Lanes in emerson new jersey so if you are in emerson or thereabouts and you know if those lanes still exist hey there was comics royalty there at one point yeah so two fans chosen at random will be flown along with one best friend each to new jersey to hang out with Jokosada, jimmy palmiati nelson and a mystery bowler you'll spend the day in paramus new jersey beautiful paramus new jersey with the guys that means you get to go to breakfast play at the arcade participate in the bowling tournament, have lunch at Pizza Hut, catch a flick, and grab some dinner. You'll then spend the night in a hotel, catch some Z's, and head back home the next day. It is so funny to me that in comparison to how Rob Liefeld's publishing went, where it was kind of fly by the seat of your pants, this is all spilled out completely. It it makes sense. You know what the activities are going to be, whereas Rob Liefeld was just, hey, show up. You can go to Disneyland and uh, then we'll do something. So anyway, I thought this was pretty fun. And also in comparison to Rob Liefeld's contest you actually have to be 18 or older to hang out with this crew and they were known as we've been told though when they were running Marvel Knights yeah they threw some wild parties over there so I believe that that is definitely what was going on here so yeah all you had to do actually is uh, send in your entry form and that was it whoever won won so I'd be very curious to hear how that all ended up and who beat who at bowling but yeah there you go if you want to do some bowling with joe casada i would have brought my copy of the ray and had him sign it again i just would have been so excited he could have uh, written his bowling score on there anyway Next contest around here is a little more feral. Yes, this was a Sabretooth contest. As you'll recall from the last time we covered the top 10 heroes and villains, Sabretooth was now a member of the X-Men, but this is highlighting his more villainous career. And so it says here, Ever since our good friend Wolverine was de-Adamantiumized, he just hasn't been the same berserker fruitcake that we fans have come to treasure. So, heck, he even quit the X-Men. But knowing full well that Wolvie was the most popular X-Men, Professor Xavier acted quickly. Hey, you he didn't want to lose any readers. He replaced Wolverine with an even bigger psychopath, Sabretooth. To help celebrate this event, Wizard wants you to have the opportunity to win every single stinking Sabretooth comic book appearance. And we mean every. So yeah, that's the grand prize. One winner, that's it. One lucky fanboy or fangirl will win one copy of every regularly released Sabretooth appearance from his debut in the pages of Iron Fist number 14 through this maze Marvel comic books. Want a rundown of those issues? All right. It's So they go through all of them. There are quite a few, all right? What's interesting, though, is that friend of the show, Jeff, uh, who has been on as our Wolverine expert, he actually has quite a few of these appearances as well. Many of them were in X-Men, but he has that first appearance in Iron Fist, among others. So just as much as he loves Wolverine, he loves Wolverine's nemesis. So how do you enter this kickback contest? Well, it takes a little counting skill on your part. What you got to do is find out how many people, that's human beings, no weird demons, monsters, or aliens, Sabretooth killed in the five comics displayed below and add up those five kill totals to come up with a final grand total, which is the body count code. So that is pretty amazing. You just gotta count how many people Sabretooth killed over five issues and these are all random comics. So here he is in an issue of Daredevil. Here he is versus the Darkhold which was one of those, you know, darker Marvel Comics books. Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, when he was in the black suit. There he is. Is fighting Wolverine in one issue and also an issue of X-Factor. He says and hey, all we want is the grand total of kills. If Sabretooth kills somebody in one of the above issues but that person came back to life in the same or later issue of any series, we don't care. It still counts as a kill. So, <laughs> pretty intense. Now the next contest here is one that is very exciting to me because this is the Draw Homer contest. Yes, it is sponsored by Bongo Comics. Okay? So we have a little blurb here from Bart. He says, your pals at Bongo Comics and Wizard have teamed up to present an awesome artistic challenge. With a little help from you, Springfield's disrobed donut dunker, Homer Simpson, can become a spandex-clad champion of the downtrodden or an armor-covered arch-villain with dreams of world domination. All you have to do is base a drawing on the picture of Homer below and add a costume, weapons, gadgets, or whatever you think would turn this 263-pound weakling into Super Homer. Label him a hero or a villain, then send in your drawing for the chance to win cool prizes and to have your drawing printed in an issue of Bongo Comics. So what I will tell you is, as avid a reader as I was of Bongo Comics, I definitely remember seeing the results of this contest printed. I mean, they definitely made good. Was there any doubt? But what's interesting is this is Homer in his underwear slipping on Bart's skateboard with a shocked look on his face. So this is definitely something where you're supposed to basically photocopy it or copy that pose, but then add all the different bells and whistles to turn him into an existing character or possibly one of your own. But yeah, so that was a super fun contest and it was something they did quite often also in uh, Simpsons Illustrated. They would often run things like that where you could modify a Simpsons character. But what would you win for being so creative? The grand prize was a hand-painted animation cell from the Simpsons television show. Second prize was a complete set of Skybox Simpsons trading cards, including all Wiggle, Glow in the Dark, and Cell chase cards. Honestly, you can keep the hand-painted animation cell. Second Prize would have been for me. Why didn't I enter this contest? I have a near complete set, but I have nowhere near a complete set of those chase cards. They were so hard to find and so numerous. Uh, third prize: a limited edition hardcover book with a silver embossed leather cover, collecting Bartman number one, Itchy and Scratchy comics number one, Radioactive Man number one, and Simpsons comics number one. Ah, uh, if only. Uh, fourth prize: a complete set of Bongo Comics. So the first issues of Bartman, Itchy and Scratchy, Radioactive Man, and Simpsons comics, all signed by creator Matt Groening. I luckily uh, have a friend now through the show, which is Nerd Jam, one of our patrons and contributor to the show in many capacities. He went to a convention recently, and he actually took my copy of Radioactive Man number one with him. He got it signed not by Matt Groening, but by Bill Morrison, the artist, and he actually included a cool Radioactive Man button. So, man, I'm so grateful to him for that. Nerd Jam, thanks so much. That's as close as I got to winning this contest. And finally. Finally, for honorable mention, that's 50 winners, you would get a Bongo Comics button and postcard. It ain't bad. I like this idea for a contest, and I am disappointed that I did not enter it back in the day. All right, and the last one here, we mentioned that there was this Mars Attacks comic that was coming out, and yet this was long before the Tim Burton movie and all of that, and only a few people probably remembered what the Mars Attacks trading cards were originally, and here we had Keith Giffen, who was launching a comic, and they wanted to get your attention, so here's what they said about that. Those pesky Martians have decided to invade Earth, and to help celebrate the end of civilization as we know it, Topps Comics and Wizard Press have cooked up a contest in which you could win some great. Mars Attack stuff before you're fried to a crisp in a nuclear blast or eaten by a giant bug. Here's what you can get your endangered paws on. The grand prize was the original art for the cover of Mars Attacks number one. Second prize was Keith Giffen's original 22-page panel-by-panel visual breakdown for Mars Attacks number two. For those of you who know about Keith Giffen, very famous for his breakdown pages. He would write stuff, but then he would also basically lay it out for the artist. At third prize is a set of Mars Attacks number 1 through 5, signed by Keith Giffen, Len Brown, and Charles Adler. Fourth prize, a copy of Mars Attacks number 1 signed by Keith Giffen, Len Brown, and Charles Adler. And fifth prize, a complete set of the re-release of the Topps Mars Attacks trading card set. You know, I actually haven't looked them up online yet, because I'm very curious now, having seen these ads and the announcement of this series. I would love to know what those cards go for these days, because again, I'm a trading card guy. I'm not really an original art guy, so I would have loved to just get fifth prize. I should have just had. But it says, how do you enter? Well, uh, you have to answer a couple questions. First, in what country does Mars Attacks number one begin? Two, what species of giant insects show up at the end of Mars Attacks number one? And finally, number three, where are the Martians hanging out while they do their dirty deeds? So yeah, so if you turned all those in with the correct answers, you could win. So there it was. All the contests in Wizard Issue 34. So much to win, and I gotta tell you, they just keep ramping it up in the next few issues so look forward to the return of this segment but now over to you steven now it's time for homemade heroes homemade heroes
2: homemade heroes homemade heroes homemade heroes so i'm flipping through my 27 year old copy of this magazine it is falling apart it's it's seen better days but It was much loved in its time. So let's see what we have here. Let's dive in. Grand prize winner is Defensor, the grand champion of lameness by Trevor Ellis of Brockton, Massachusetts, made with a Toy Biz Silver Surfer figure and a Toy Biz Captain America shield. The caption reads, I'm the suckiest superhero ever created, which is a bold caption for the grand prize winner. I don't know who Defensor is. He's got this yellow and black outfit with this kind of nuclear man burst at the center of it. It's got a 90s goatee and a weird pointy hat. Uh, Okay, cool. Next up, one of the second prize winners, it's the singing duo of Hammer and Anvil by, yes, Trevor Ellis, earning his title as He Who Has Too Much Free Time. Both were made from Toy Biz Silver Surfers. Man, the Toys R Us in Brockton, Massachusetts must have just been wondering why Trevor Ellis kept buying up all the Toy Biz Silver Surfers. He must have had a whole closet full of them given the fact that he keeps making figures out of these bodies. The other second prize winner is the always impressive Stilt Man by Jack Fischetti of Bogota, New Jersey, made with a Toy Biz flash head, a Secret Wars Dr. Doom body, and wooden dowels for legs. The caption reads, from up here, I can see right into that apartment building, hey, that guy's naked. Top-notch joke there. Uh, He's a really cool-looking figure, we thought Stiltman was a cool design. There's four third prize winners. The first one is The Planet from 1963's Mystery Incorporated by Michael Wallstrom of Ames, Iowa. Uh, it was made from a Toy Biz Hulk. I can see that. I don't know what the head is. It's a big round glob, so I guess it could just be anything. I know this character. I uh picked up. Mystery Incorporated number one. I still have it. It was Alan Moore's kind of homage to the Fantastic Four. This was kind of the Thing character. It was just a planet. Looks pretty neat. The other third prize winners, we've got Terror by Tom Lots of Tallahassee, Florida, made from a conehead body, a Super Mario Brothers Goomba head, and a Toy Biz Joker hat. The caption reads, No way, Defensor. I'm the psychiest character in existence. Want proof? Take a look at this tie. So more Defensor jokes. Great. Um. Yeah, I don't know this guy. Never. I remember the Conehead toys. I never had them because I saw the movie in theaters and it sucked, and I didn't want toys. But I did have the Goomba toy because I actually did like the Super Mario Brothers movie. That was a cool flick. Uh, I still love it. And uh, obviously, I had the Toy Biz Joker because you know every kid had one. It was it was the law in 1989. It's it's cool looking for a character that they don't like. Next up, a character I do know. Gladiator by Mark R. Komu of Millbury, Massachusetts, made with a Gideon figure and a strife cape. He says, why, if I had eyes, I'd go to a different barber because of his mohawk hair. It's a cool looking figure. I kind of think this should have been the grand prize. It just has a nice look to it. Yeah, and the final third prize winner, it's Mr. Monster. Uh, I don't know who that is. By Matt Derbyshire of Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada, made from a Toy Biz Flash. He said, this bed is nice and comfy." Hey, is there a camera behind that ceiling mirror? Boy, this is just the jokes. Very, very of their time. Because he's lying down sort of on a, looks like a white nothing surface. I don't know, whatever. Uh, Kind of an underwhelming month for Homemade Heroes, I will say. Fitting because the main toying around news section is about the shadow action figures. And, you know, who wanted those? Who thought the shadow was worth collecting the action figures for? Not I. Uh, I can't think of anyone else. Can you? Anyway, now to
0: Michael. Now for the top 10 comics of May of 1994. We've got a lot of books that are moving away from the same books we've seen a gazillion times, other than maybe one or two. The number one book is Profit Number 4A, and you're probably looking at this cover on the left and saying to yourself, Hey, this looks like the Prophet No. 4 in my collection. What's up with that, man? It appears that since so few of these books were printed, most people have never seen this cover. Yeah, that's why people are like, who cares about Prophet No. 4 or 4A? The reason the folks at Extreme pulled this little stunt was to help herald the arrival of. What's his name? Moon Knight Boy? Oh, yeah, Stephen Platt. <laughs> Anyway, Stephen Platt begins penciling chores on Profit No. 5, and the stunt with Profit 4A certainly made fans and dealers alike sit up and pay real close attention to this title. Now, if only Extreme could get Profit Number 5 out on time. Number two is Beavis and Butthead Number 1. Not only is Beavis and Butthead an incredibly hot comic, thanks to the mega-high-profile-created by the hit TV show and the controversy that it spawned in this great land of ours. <laughs> okay. This title can help you find out the true meaning of life. Many life and comic related topics are explored here in depth. Let's see. So far in this series, we've learned about Wonder Man. They'll say Wonder Life sucks. <laughs> Superhero wear sunglasses suck. <laughs> I get it. Okay. The Punisher. <laughs> the Punisher kicks ass. Damn it, Beavis, cut it out. And when he kicks butt, he stays kicked. <laughs> oh, I get it. I get what they're doing there. Okay, they're doing a Beavis and butt thing. Great. And other enlightening subjects in this ilk. Kind of stupid, but at the same time, pretty damn funny. Number three, X-Men 30. Oh, wow what makes this book hot two things first it features the x-men stars of the popular saturday morning cartoon which makes the kiddies want to read it second it features the long-awaited and much ballyhooed wedding I don't know what ballyhooed means. Of Scott Cyclops Summers and Jean no-codename-Grey. Well, Marvel Girls are code codename. Some 30 years after they met, no less. I wonder if white was really the best color for Jean's gown. Anyone curious as to where the two lovebirds went on their honeymoon should check out page 15 of Wildcats number eight. Also, keep an eye open for Lois and Clark and an older Beavis and Butthead. I actually have this issue somewhere in my boxes. Yeah, I definitely have it. Number four, Gen 13 number one. This baby jumped a, a whopping six spots from last month, giving us adequate reason to believe that image has a solid hit on its hands. Number five, Marvel's number two. We here at Wizard refer to an underordered number two issue of a new title as a terrible two. And Marvel's number two is a definitive victim of terrible two-itis. When retailers first saw their order books in which Marvel's was listed at $5.95 cover price, their palms got a little sweaty and their throats dried up. This led to controversy ordering The two issues. After the first issue shipped and the people discovered how awesome this miniseries was, demand for subsequent issues skyrocketed. Throw in the fact that this issue features the story of the beginning of the X Men as well as the advent of the anti mutant hysteria, and you'll see why this book is a winner. Number 6, Moon Knight 57, not even going to read it, period. Moving on. Number 7, Wolverine 75. I'm not even gonna read it. We've already covered it. Number eight, Lady Death number one. Lady Death number one placed at the top ten again this month, and you fans probably want to know why. Being the good sports that we are, we'll tell you. First, the book was heavenly. First, the book was heavily underordered due to the sometimes scary large cover price of 350, and the fact that it isn't a huge name like X Men. Oh wait, X-Men 30 was under-ordered too. Damn, I'm stuck for the comparison book. Ah, uh, whatever. It was under-ordered, okay? Second, people saw how unbelievably awesome the final cover actually was. The story was cool too, and copies of the book were gone off the shelves less than a week after it debuted. Those two factors confined for, boom, a hot book. Number 9, Gambit number 1. In the music, movie, and publishing business, any project that stays popular for a long time is referred to as having legs. As far as the comic book business goes, Gambit No. 1 has some serious legs. This title sold very well initially, but the hero's appearance on TV, his multiple comic book appearances, and his toy action figure have made him one of, if not the, most popular X-Men. Secondary market demand on this book has never been higher. With four X-Men-related titles in the top ten, five if you include Gen 13, aka New Mutants 2, the sequel, Mutant Mania is running wild. And number ten, Green Lantern 47. Right on the cover of this baby, Green Arrow asks us, you got a problem with that, and our retort is a resounding, yes, we do. The problem is finding a copy of this book, a largely ignored issue that fell between the now-famous Reign of the Superman tie-in story in issue 46 and the start of Emerald Twilight in storyline issue number 48. Collectors and readers who are searching for this book are learning that it's harder to find than Sharon Stone's acting skills. Ooh, that's rough. I disagree. I think Sharon Stone's a great actress.
1: Oh yeah, it's time for Hunk and Babe of the Month. I'm too sexy for my shirt, too sexy for my shirt, so sexy it hurts. And I'm too sexy for Milan, too sexy for Milan, New York and Japan. Now this month, our babe is Rapture. How does that costume stay up? It's impossible. It's like that story of the kid who kept all the water behind the dike by plugging the leak with his finger. There's no way that Jake can hold back her, um, uh, you know, her thingies. Anyway, gravity defying or not, Rapture here, who looks like she got some hairstyling tips from Rogue, is one primo hot comic babe. With that in mind, and the knowledge that her outfits are smaller than a Smurf's PJs, how did she end up as part of a team called Freak Force? I mean, really, where's the fame and distinction in that? Hi, I'm a charter member of Freak Force, wanna dance? Jeez, Being an ex-Champions or ex-New Defenders member is cooler than that, all things considered though, the scenery is a lot nicer in Freak Force. So yeah, so here we have Rapture, and Eric Larson creation. I, I've seen the Freak Force appearances in Savage Dragon, but I don't think I ever picked up an individual issue of that comic, and I never even put together that yes, she and Rogue basically have the same hairstyle, the skunk look, you know? I don't even know what Rapture's powers are, but I can see a little bit of an energy crackle coming off her hand, which is cut off by the bottom of the panel, so there must be something going on there, and I do have to tell you, though, savor these Hunkin' Babe of the Month features, because Steven looked ahead, and he told me that this doesn't last too much longer beyond the next few issues. But for now, enjoy the cringiness. And now, over to you, Annie Flowers, with our Hunk of the Month. Uh, Annie? Hello? I'm afraid Annie's not here right now. She's been called out on assignment with, that, uh, Mulder and Scully. Well, I guess that means I'm gonna have to handle the. Honk of the month? This month's honk is Tony Stark. Tony Stark makes you feel. He's a cool exec with a heart of steel. Anybody remember those awful old Marvel cartoons? The short ones that feature the adventures of Namor, Hulk, Thor, Cap, and Iron Man? Putrid stuff. You could bet 10 bucks that Tony here never showed up wearing this kind of outfit in that tune, though. He's in uh, bikini briefs. Geez, he should think about improving his image by waxing his back or something. And maybe using some Nair for his feet? What is this guy, a hobbit? Covered in fur or not? Tony here still has more bucks than Nancy Kerrigan has endorsement deals. And when certain females catch wind of a padded bank account, they'll grab a guy and get all they can out of him. And all that hair on his back makes it real easy to grab this guy. Yeah, this is uh, definitely a, a John Ramita Jr. image of Tony Stark here. Must be for one of the swimsuit issues, but he's super bulky on top and super hairy all over the place. I mean, he could give Wolverine a run for his money. So woo, there you go. And that is this month's Hunked Babe of the Month. But until next time, ooh, stay feisty. All right, well, as promised, we kind of switched things around this time. We had Steven give you his own personal review of the Emerald Twilight Saga on the main episode, and we saved our in-depth review, well, as in-depth as we're going to get, of Jeff Smith's Bone for Robin's Reading Rainbow, and we put it here. It's now part of the mini-episode. Something for you to look forward to. So, without further ado, let's take it away, us. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to Robin's Reading Rainbow. Rocky Robin. Yeah,
2: Rocky
0: So we have here a comic that I have never read. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. A comic called bone and bone is a multi-award winning comic i think it's a a fantasy style book i'm gonna learn from these two gentlemen who have read it and have a lot to say about it and then we kind of like we'll go from there and see what happens so take it away fellas I'm, i'm all ears
1: i'm ready to learn all right well so yeah this is definitely something we talked about in recent episodes wizard was very high on bone it became this very very popular independent book of course eventually it got re-released through image and became even more popular uh, we even <laughs> talked about it appearing in disney adventures magazine if everybody remembers that but yeah so we thought it'd be important for some of the members of the the crew here who haven't read bone before to get an idea of what it's about and see it firsthand i personally had read it a few years ago rented it from my local library i mean that's how popular this is it's considered true literature that you want to share with all those who like a good book is that what they call taking a book out from the library renting it <laughs> uh, i guess i don't, I don't know. know check it out they call it, it borrowing it? you
0: borrow a book no <laughs> I guess. I borrow, a book.
1: <laughs> borrow. So- how often i go to the library <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You borrow but Stephen, a book. <laughs> so you were the one who decided you wanted to get a, a trade to read, right? So yes. And I regretted it immediately.
2: I got it for six bucks on Amazon. It's out from Boneville. So it's a thin little book. You know, it's good. It did nothing for me. It's just, I don't think I'm the audience for this. It's Uh, interesting,
1: right? It's like, it's like, yeah. Some people like, is it the art that doesn't grab you? Is it the setting? What, what, what do you think was just like not connecting? I just felt no personal
2: connection to the story, to the character of Bone. Just nothing about it grabbed me. It seemed juvenile, like it was for children, which explains why it was in Disney adventures.
1: I actually have a series of questions. Yeah. Go for it. Where does the name Bone come from? So these characters, the three main characters that we run into at the beginning of the story, their names are Phone Bone, Phony Bone... And Smiley Bone, and they're three cousins from the town of Boneville. So there's a lot of bone going on. They are of the bone. <laughs> you know, it's just all, and in the beginning I would
0: be right, out right they, there. Yeah. <laughs> right there.
1: Chased out of Boneville for an unknown reason. All we know is phony bone was up to no good, and they got run out of town. So, you know, they've been on the run in the wilderness and they don't know where they are. So is this yeah. a comic that is maybe Stephen can even answer this better. Do you feel like this is
0: a comic that's designed to have people be interested to jump on to comics at a young age like is, if it's if it may be geared for a younger audience like maybe a good onboarding thing as opposed to here read Watchmen no read Bone <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, maybe
2: it, it kind of has elements of you know Lord of the Rings and kind okay. of these fantasy creatures that's what it kind of reminded me of It it just I I don't know even as a kid I think if I picked up Bone I don't know if it would have interested me I was more into superhero comics Mm -hmm.
1: to me Michael I would say specifically because it started as a comic strip Jeff Smith drew it as a comic strip for his college newspaper and usually kids get introduced to comics from our era back in the day through the funny pages right on Sunday you read Peanuts you read Garfield whatever it feels like back then it would have been a very easy way to introduce but i I, nowadays that's the question right because it is very based on gags like multi-panel gags so one person will say a line here the next person has a snarky reply then it kind of builds to the joke and it's a lot of that like each character is very distinct but and they all have their points of view but it is very much a humor book as much as it is an adventure book okay steven can you hold the cover up again because it kind of like It feels like a Dilbert
0: kind of a drawing, you know? Hmm. Sort of. There's like a human character too. or, Or a Funny Pages kind of cover... Okay, so there are humanoid people there and they're not just like
1: weird blobby kind of characters. Well, that's what's weird about it is you have the three Bone characters that are cartoony and then everybody else is a more realistic style of human being. Mm -hmm. They're a talking bug or they're a mysterious dragon that nobody believes exists. Uh, You know, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And And the first issue is a journey book. Like it's very much like Phone Bone gets separated from his cousins. There's this huge cloud of locusts that tries to envelop them and then he falls off a cliff and then he's lost and then he doesn't know where he is so he's just in this wilderness and meeting all these random characters and dwellers in the wilderness trying to figure out So it's
0: the Fellowship of the Ring (laughs)
1: Sort of, sort of, yeah. Left his safe space, his shire, his boneville and yes, now he's in this new world. But he doesn't have a mission per se. That's the whole thing with this. There's really nothing to do until many issues forward. Like you don't even meet the whole cast because he eventually he has this girl named Thorn who is like he's very smitten by her. Every time they're at a panel together, he has hearts above his head. Mm that kind of thing but you don't you don't meet her you know really until the next issue and then you meet her grandma who's this super strong old lady that races cows so they have a lot of lore in the universe there's a lot of like lived in like oh this is the history this is what people do so i can see how people could grab on to that definitely
0: so basically these cartoony characters are they just sort of like our window into this world or are we kind of seeing it through their eyes or yes Okay. Interesting. All right. Okay. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. And like they kind
2: of, you know, the three of them separate and then they they kind of reunite through the course of this
0: story in this world. When did this first release, Adam?
1: This was early 90s. Okay. And how long did it run for? Oh, I mean, it ran a very long time. I mean, I I don't have the exact like number of years. How dare you? How dare you? (laughs) I know. It's too bad. I should have done my research on that. But I mean, there was like Like the compendium, you know, is like very thick. I mean, this ran for a very long time. It's and it's one of those things where I'm sure the story gets more and more involved as it goes on. And you know, so maybe these first few issues don't do it for you, but maybe it gets better. I don't know. Like I said, I've read the first two volumes and I was like, Okay. I mean, they peel back the layers and you see, oh, Thorn is important because of this, or this happened here, this happened there, Mm -hmm. and the characters sort of evolve. But that's the question. We're we're kind of talking almost specifically about the first issue and steven you said it didn't encourage you to read more right
2: no, I I I don't think I'll ever read another Bone again after this. <laughs> again, it's not bad. It's just not something I have any interest in. Do you think your really. kids would interest be interested? No, say. no. They, no a a I, I tried, and they had no interest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. Do they like comics at all? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just not Bone.
2: They like Garfield. You know, they read they read a lot of the comic strips, but Bone did nothing. They they looked wow. at it. They said, yeah, maybe later. And then they never
1: <laughs> they never uh, picked it up. Again. Yeah. So I feel like this is something where we definitely need to hear from those of you who are big fans of Bone. You gotta tell us. Like, why? Like, why does it stick out? And why do you think so many people are in the same boat as you? And why wouldn't we be? You know, because I think we've all said across the board, we're not big fantasy guys. We, we're not deep into fantasy comics or stories or movies or any of that. So we like the spandex. We like the superheroes. We like the classics. So it's, it's hard for us to make that jump. We had to lean in with the spandex. You want pouches? We love the pouches. Sure. No, we-
0: Sure, whatever. (laughs) We love tapes. How about that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, I don't know if you'll win us over, but maybe there's one little nugget of information you're going to drop in there. We'll be like, oh. And the only thing I can say, my actual introduction to Bone was through a Gen 13 comic. Hmm. because gen 13 did gen 13 a b and c for their 13th issue and it was filled with cameos from all these different publishers these different independents and bone was one of the characters that appears for a full story even on the cover Hmm. with grunge from gen 13 so that was like oh now i know who bone is for phone bone you know but it it didn't make me go pick up the comics back in the 90s so now it's my turn to tell you about the top 10 heroes and villains of the month. All right, so in the number one spot, as he has been since the beginning of this feature, we have Todd McFarlane's Spawn. They mention here that Spawn is going to have a mini series later this year involving Angela, the villainous, introduced by Neil Gaiman in issue number nine. Uh, Of course, this later leads to a major headache for Todd McFarlane and a lawsuit with Neil Gaiman, so yeah, that's pretty intense. Uh, Spider Man is in the number two spot, but they mention here it looks as though he's gearing up to dropkick Spawn right out of the number one slot. How you ask? Merchandising, Merchandising, Merchandising. Yup. As if four regular monthly titles, a futuristic monthly title, and a giant sized quarterly title and countless annual specials and limited series weren't enough, Spidey is ready to swing into the small screen with an all new cartoon, into toy stores with a massive line of new action figures, and possibly onto the big screen with a major flick by James Cameron. Spider-Man is nearing a popularity boiling point. Well all of those things happened, except for one. James Cameron movie. But we did eventually get the Spider-Man film, so it was just a matter of time. Next up here in the number three spot is Batman, but as real Batman, essentially. Uh, and number four is Wolverine, and of course... Number five is Superman. Number six is Sabretooth. Again, it's this whole thing. Is he a superhero now because he's on the X-Men or is he a supervillain? Let's see what they have to say. What a hairy guy. Ten bucks says he smells worse than the bathroom at a Mexican restaurant. Sheesh. On top of this, unique odor. Sabretooth is also one of the most unpleasant people ever to have joined. Well, sort of joined. The X-Men. Not only has he almost killed several team members in the past, like when he ripped out Wolverine's throat with his bare hands. He's psychotic, so he can't control himself and he endangers those around him. What does all this make him? Villainous? Eh, nutty? Nope popular here he is at number six now at number seven speaking of popular x-men we have gambit and number eight on the list is robin here's what they have to say everyone who thought that the boy wonder couldn't carry a monthly title after the last two dreadful miniseries holograms and lenticular covers for everyone was barking up the wrong tree this series thanks to terrific writing by chuck dixon and great artwork by tom Grummet and ray Chrissing, has been a very solid fan favorite since issue number one Since this summer's Bat Story will bring Robin into the mix, the boy wonder figures to be a prominent character for some time to come, although he seems somewhat surprised to hear it. Yeah, he's got some very wide eyes here. Now, next up on the number nine spot is Exo Manowar. Although the picture of him is not in his armor, he's got some sort of war paint on, so Wizard says, hey! Who pulled the old lipstick on the binoculars trick on Eric? Not a smart move. Eric, Exo, ain't known for having a good temper. But anyway, Eric may be one real popular character, but he's in a spot of trouble these days. You see old Exo's foes, the spider aliens? You know, the very overused but still very cool buggy guys poisoned the Exo armor and nailed it with some high-tech blaster thingies and now the armor's kaput. Where does that leave the mighty Eric? Rumor has it he'll be getting a new set of threads courtesy of his bud Solar. That is exactly what happens in those comics. Solar has to go find this seed, and then Eric has to use the seed on a person's body in order to create the armor, so one of his friends sacrifices himself, and yeah, it's pretty interesting. Finally, in the number 10 spot, we have Michael and Steven's favorite guy. Yeah, not after reading for Patreon, let me tell you. They did not enjoy that experience. But this is Prime, they say here, Hey, his chin is bigger than his head. He's like a human pelican. It must look pretty grotesque when he smiles, but beauty is only skin-deep and for Prime, skin deep is a relative thing. You see, Prime is actually a 13-year-old Kevin Green who grows protoplasmic, super-powered bodies like Prime, Space Prime, Rogue Prime, Pastas Prime. Well, you get the idea. This premise made Prime appealing to the younger readers, and he quickly became the hottest star in the Malibu universe. Now, one thing I want to point out here that I have realized is that Top 10 Heroes of Villains is very sexist. How can there not be a female superheroine on the cover at this time? Somebody from the X-Men you would think it'd be rogue or storm or i mean it it just doesn't make sense that all the most popular characters are guys come on i have a hard time believing that so yeah it seems like next time around they ought to mix it up a little bit but now it's time for my favorite part of the top 10 heroes and villains of the month list the mort of the month so they tell us here that we have a character called the red bee no ladies and gentlemen it's not the yellow jacket it's ta-da drumroll please the red bee this bag of garbage was actually an assistant da turned crime fighter who used to sick his trained bees which he kept in his belt buckle on his opponents it's a good thing he did because this guy stood five foot nine and weighed in at a robust 147 pounds he'd be lucky to beat an egg at that size after his stint as a crime fighter ended in the early 40s the red bee vanished from the public eye which is probably a good move on his part since criminals have gotten tougher and meaner as the years went by do you Do you think any crook today would be afraid of this idiot? Yeah, so I think that's an awesome concept. And I will reveal here that when I was growing up and I was creating my own superheroes, my Spider-Man ripoff, I guess you would say, was a character called the Bumbling Bee. And he actually, like, mutated into a bee man. But the fact that I never gave him a belt buckle full of bees that he could control, uh, oh, total missed opportunity there. I actually like the idea of the red bee, even though his costume is ridiculous. I might say seek out some of these comics if I can find them. I'm always in the mood for a good laugh. But there you have it. The top 10 heroes and villains list. So uh, take it away, Michael. So here we are again for another installment
0: of Kinetti's Corner. We've got a few things to discuss. First of all... For the Patreon subscribers, we read an issue of Prime, particularly Prime number 11, and it was far and away one of the worst comics I've ever read in my life, and I had to read it out loud. It's horrible. It is really pathetic writing, and it's just a disgrace to comics, and I hated every minute of it. But. It's one of those things where I look back and I'm like, this is what people thought kids would like? It's just terrible. And it really made me mad, and it was just kind of like a bummer. But we read it, and we had some laughs, and we talked to some commentary about it and shared our thoughts. You should definitely check it out. If you subscribe to our Patreon, you can listen to it and watch the video and see Steven and I begrudgingly scratch our heads and make some weird, you know, funny comments about how bad the book is. And you'll get to see Adam in full... Rogue Prime Glory. The next thing I have is that I picked up a a graphic novel called Lady Killers. Because it was just pitched or picked up for a series. And it is really, really fun. It's about a housewife who kind of goes a little crazy and kind of becomes a murderer. And it's fun. I like it. I'm definitely into it. Uh, I, I still, I tell you right now, I cannot get through this Superman, Madman, Hullabaloo book. It's very hard. I tried so hard. I'm deep into the second issue. I'm nearly done with the second issue. And I've gotten to the point now where Superman has returned back to his universe. Madman is still there. But Superman has also brought all of the Madman ensemble back to the Earth. And... I don't know where the story is going. I can't figure it out. And listen, I really do like the art. I think th- there are certain parts that are funny. I just don't, I, I can't wrap my head around what's going on or why it's significant. And one thing that I don't understand is why are the women in the Madman universe in like full-on like bodysuit catsuit turtleneck things like what is that all about i don't don't get it if someone can explain that to me i would love to know it doesn't make sense like what what the costume design is for that why they why they're drawn that way it's cool i don't i don't mind it i I actually appreciate that female characters are covered up for once in the 90s as opposed to being half naked which is great but i just i want to know what what the backstory or premise behind that is i also i picked up recently a what if comic and this is what if jessica jones had joined the avengers i just got it over ebay and i'm interested to read it and check it out and see what's going to happen and i'll give a little review and feedback on it there's another cool thing that i found that i'm going to try to get the guys to do a youtube video on and it is married with children 2099 yes you heard me married with children 2099 and on the cover is al bundy and the whole bundy family outside of the DeLorean as if they're going back to the future. Just putting that out in the universe sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like something that I would definitely think is totally whacked out and insane. But it'll be interesting to read. Uh, Beyond that, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ronin number three comes out this week. That I'm really excited to pick up. It looks really cool. There's something to do with Casey Jones in it, which I'm really fascinated to find out where that goes. There's a bunch of cool stuff coming out in comics, and I'm, I'm looking forward to going to the shop tomorrow and, and seeing what's there and what we're in store for. Maybe over the long Memorial Day weekend, I'll actually get to read some stuff for a few minutes. We shall see. I am currently watching the Superman Man of Steel animated movie on HBO Max, and I'm into it so far. I like it. It kind of has similar art to C-Lab 2021, but a little bit more sophisticated and and better, but it just feels like that a little bit, which makes me kind of a little bit off-putting and laugh about it because I love C-Lab and to see it in this kind of art style in this animated movie is really really funny and that's Kennedy's Corner thanks so
1: much back to Adam and that does it for mini episode 34.5 thank you for joining us for another edition of Wizards Half ah uh, we have a fun time putting these together and I will tell you that if you want to look for a fun time coming up for issue number 35 we have a returning guest who we mentioned in this episode because we're going to be talking Conan we're talking Wolverine we got a whole bunch of stuff coming up in that episode uh, but also we've been teasing as you'll recall the Zero Hour it's called Beyond Zero Hour special issue that Wizard put together. It's kind of a history of DC Comics plus a promise of things to come so we will be bringing that to you shortly and we hope that you are enjoying all that we do on social media to kind of give your eyes and your memories a little jump start so be sure you check us out on Twitter at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics. If you would like to be a guest or you just have some ideas for what we should add to the show, email us at wizardscomicspod at gmail.com. Of course, you can check out the YouTube channel, Wizards Podcast. There's a lot of fun videos continuing to go up as often as we can get them out. And also, we have the Patreon, as if you haven't heard enough, you're hearing about it, but are you experiencing it? I am telling you, we are going all out. We're always trying to make these opportunities for the patrons something unique. And I just feel like for the few dollars that we're asking you to contribute a month, all it does is allow us to bring more more cool content so check it out give yourself that extra biff bam pal and until next time keep your books bagged and boarded
0: this has been a presentation of the retro network